Hey, in what sense is the life of Christ a mystery? The entire life of Christ is a revelation. What was visible in the earthly life of Jesus leads us to the invisible mystery of his divine sonship. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Furthermore, even though salvation comes completely from the cross and the resurrection, the entire life of Christ is a mystery of redemption because everything that Jesus did, said, and suffered had for its aim the salvation of fallen human beings and the restoration of their vocation as children of God. So, I think that the point that's being made here is that, like, what's necessary for salvation is, of course, the death and resurrection of Christ. But we shouldn't then ignore the rest of the Gospels, mm. right? Like, his entire life Which is instructive. You, you could get hung up on it, People sure. do, yeah. Yeah. I do. Right. But, like, all the parables, his teachings, all this sort of stuff, is super important, right? Because he's, he's trying to give us a model to live by, mm. not just redeem us, but then, like, make us like God. And also what he's doing as a child, the accounts sure. that we have of his, that he doesn't enter into that divinity just at baptism, that things that happened before then are also yeah, yeah. important Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. Yeah, right. so, so the entire, so his entire life is a revelation. It's a revelation of what? It's a revelation of God himself. Um, and his whole life is a mystery of redemption. So, like, he, him quietly working in, you know, his father's shop as a carpenter, all this sort of stuff, is something that is instructive to us. How good is that Jesus was a crossmaker song? We're playing that at the end of the episode. It's all such right. a, it's a banger. How did God prepare the world for the mystery of Christ? God prepared for the coming of his son over the centuries. He awakened in the hearts of the pagans a dim expectation of this coming, and he prepared for it specifically through the Old Testament, culminating with John the Baptist, who was the last and greatest of the prophets. We relive this long period of expectancy in the annual liturgical celebration of the season of Advent. So the whole world is preparing for Christ, um, including in paganism. We specifically see it, of course, in the Old Testament, because that's where Christ, God is setting up the stage for Christ to act on. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean there isn't things to be found in the rest of the world. Dim expectation. Yeah. All right. I think we're specifically talking about the Greeks there. Anyway, it's a bit boring one. Almost always is the Greeks. Always the Greeks. Who doesn't love the Greeks? Well, like Chesna has the great bit, which I think I mentioned before, in The Everlasting Man, where he says... Um, so he's, got, he's going through the history of salvation in the everlasting man. And he says the war between Rome and Carthage, mm. right, sets the stage on which Christ will be born. And it's instructive that Rome wins that war because it's a better type of paganism, right? The, the, the Carthaginian yes. paganism, which is like the sacrifice of children to a bloodthirsty god. <sighs> Look, I think there are arguments to be made that the Greeks also had child sacrifice, but certainly by the time of the Romans, they had more or right. less but, been pushed out. But Justin says, what's, yeah. the, what's the... What's the paganism of the Romans? It's it's the paganism of, of the hearth and home. Yeah. Right? Like, it's it's, a, duty it's a local paganism, with, all this yeah. sort of stuff. And that sets the stage for Christ to come in with his message of, like, love. And then it's like, oh, man, okay. I mean, we know less about the Carthaginians than we would like owing to the brutal genocide that was perpetrated. Ah, uh, we know more about them than what people think. We know about the child graves now. We know about the child graves. They did it. How sure are you about that they did it? It looks pretty much like they did it. Right? Roma Lacuda Est, baby. But sometimes people think that there are mass child graves, and then a couple of months later, you know, in Canada or something, they go, whoopsie daisy, whoopsie daisy. there weren't any. And then yeah. they forget to come out and apologise, so maybe we should check back in on the car. Yeah, I don't think we were just, like, using... I mean, what, what they did some, like, radiography of the ground or something. They're like, oh, there's big child graves here in Canada. Whereas we have... 
the child graves yeah. in Carthage. Well, then they, when they started digging up the Canadian child graves, I believe it was a tangle of roots yeah. from a nearby tree. Yeah. It's funny how sometimes they can look like each other. Hey, how did... No, we did that one. Hey, what does the gospel teach about the mysteries of the birth and infancy of Jesus? So this is just a sort of like summary of the New Testament and Christ's life, right? This is what we're doing now. We've done the sort of like, you know, the Christology stuff. And now we're just going through the, the, the here's the big notes. Yep. Um, so at Christmas, the yep. glory of heaven is shown forth in the weakness of a baby. The circumcision of Jesus is a sign of his belonging to the Hebrew people and is a prefiguration of our baptism. So this is the presentation of the child Jesus in the temple, as mm-hmm. it is what the mystery of the rosary is. That's his circumcision. Um, the epiphany is the manifestation of the Messiah, King of Israel, to all the nations. So that's the wise men coming from the east. That's the Gentiles seeing the Savior. At the presentation of the temples, uh, Simeon and Anna symbolize all the anticipation of Israel awaiting the encounter, its encounter with the Savior. So Anna and Simeon are sort of like these prophets that have been waiting. The whole to, yeah, exactly. They've been waiting for the Messiah to come. The flight into Egypt and the massacre of the innocents proclaim that the entire life of Christ will be under the sign of persecution. The departure from Egypt recalls the Exodus and presents Jesus as the new Moses and as the true and definitive liberator. That's... It's a lot. Yeah. Now, when we say we're coming up in hidden life, so this is the birth and infancy, so that doesn't get to the childhood stuff. No, this is just him being born, gone to Egypt, all that sort of stuff. Yep, great. Yeah. I mean, I think that's all... People can dig into that, but it's that's... Super straightforward. Yeah. Yeah. What do, and basically, what it's saying there is that these accounts of Christ's life as an infant mm. and in utero, mm. have, they prefigure things about yes. the church. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's yeah. not just like coincidences. No. They are things that have important uh, resonance. Everything that Christ does has importance, even when he's a baby. Yeah. I mean, they've, they've cut some of it out of the written account. Like these what? Th- well, like, a, like on Tuesday, he put on his sandals. Oh, right. I see what you mean. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of like small things. Well, uh, get- The first time that uh, Christ decided he wouldn't breastfeed anymore. We're going to get... this shows the rejection of the purely physical nourishment. And to, I mean, there just would have been heaps of stuff like that that they don't account for. It doesn't have a... There's no feast of the not breastfeeding anymore. Yeah, it's not that important. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, we, we remember the important stuff. They yeah. didn't think it was that important. Yeah. There is the time he... We're about to do the whole bit of his hidden life, and okay. I think we should do the hidden life. All right, because okay. i got a question about the... Breastfeeding? That bit with the bit of boy. No. Okay. The the killing. I think it's in... Oh, Andrew. okay. Right, right. No, do it now. Do it now. Yeah. All right. Well, okay. So there, are, there is an infancy gospel. Do you want to chime in with who wrote the infancy gospel? It's It's the gospel according to Peter. Right. Oh, snap. Snap. Really? Yeah. And we think that was written by Peter. It seems to have been, if not authored by Peter, then somebody who knew Peter yeah. quite well. But yeah. we can, it seems like Peter's... I don't think that's one of the... There's a gospel according to Peter. Yeah, it's not one of the... I don't think it's one of the Gnostic gospels. Yeah. It's, it's first century. The Gnostic Gosties. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, you're welcome. In hundreds of years, they'll be looking back and going, oh, the Gnostic Gosties. Gnostic Gosties. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, so I'm pretty sure the Gospel according to Peter is of the first century, I think, from memory. Which is cut from the final version. Well, it's not, Bible. yeah, I mean, it's not that it's cut. It's not like everybody's reading it and they go, oh, we shouldn't read this anymore. It's that nobody reads it, right? And they sort of go, this seems embellished. This isn't, like, we're not going to use this in our liturgy. 
Like yeah. even though Peter, we don't like it. What they've got Peter's, Peter's letters. An important guy. Yeah, he's an important yeah. guy. They respect him. He's got his letters floating around. People read them. But in terms of the accounts of Christ's life, they're just going, no, this doesn't cut the, cut the mustard, right? We know people knew him. This doesn't mm. match up. So there is an account at the start of the Gospel according to Peter. I'm pretty sure where, yeah, Christ like kills a child when he's like eight years old and then resurrects the child or he kills birds and resurrects the birds or like something yeah, insane yeah. like this right um and the early church was just like yeah we're, we're not on board with that that doesn't seem right could send the wrong message but oh, it's it's not that it sends the wrong message it's that is it true i mean if peter said it was true right but like peter is not always right you know, and yeah. you know this from like the Council of Jerusalem. Paul disagrees with Peter. Paul wins the day, all this sort of stuff, right? Like, I mean, the fact that Peter wrote a gospel and he wrote it. A, look, I could be wrong about this. This might actually be a Gnostic gospel. I if can't it's wrong, remember. we'll yeah. cut it. A Gnostic gospel. Um, no, I, I don't mind being wrong. Okay. I, yeah, uh, but I, I want to stress the the fact that even if it is of like first century inheritance, yeah. The fact that the church did not use it liturgically immediately is that some sort of sign. Is a sign, right? and that when yeah. it was not included in the Bible, we don't have like the revolt of no, no, this no. being very important. Because it's not like this is like a controversial thing. Where they're yeah. like, oh, but we really need to include Peter's. They're like, nobody reads it. Yeah, yeah, we, we didn't. We don't use that. You don't use that. We're not going to keep it. I mean, they keep it, right? Obviously, we have copies of it. Yes, it wasn't like purged from existence. No, it's just like, no, that's not right. We've got it. We looked at it. It's we evaluated not, it. Yeah. We looked back to the tradition. Did anybody really believe it? No, nobody really believed it. Certainly didn't take off. Well, so the other thing is like, so for example, the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles. Yeah. So they're written as one text, right? And that's split in the middle. Yes. And so you've got Luke and the Acts of the Apostles, but it's actually one story. We crammed John in the middle. Yeah, we yeah. put John on the point. Uh so again, like, why do you do that? Well, because there's a sort of like delineating thing where it's like, well, okay, Christ is dead, but then it's the apostles, so we'll we'll put them as separate stories. But the the Lucan tradition or something like that is like that actually Luke knew Mary quite well, which okay. is why he has the accounts in Acts, which would make sense. Well, not only the accounts in Acts, but he's got the accounts of Christ's oh, birth, yeah. Yeah. yeah, because like he, whereas John doesn't touch it, not really, no. not interested, yeah. Interesting. So again, what are the, what are they trying to communicate? Why are they trying to communicate it? Um, and the fact that there are apocryphal texts, which there are, um, and normally, yeah, when you get to the Gnostic Gosties, that that's a totally different, like. The, well, you can see why it's so appealing, right? Because it's like we've sure. got extra insight and information. Yeah, there's like additional. I mean, it should be. We've also we've got quite a lot in the Bible, and sometimes yeah. people go this parable, and you go, I'd forgotten that was in there. Yeah. So there's, it's not like that there aren't. Did his feet in could. ancient times? You know. Yeah. up on England past green, North So it's, it's fan fiction, right? Is the, is that's that's the appeal of it? Okay. It's the same appeal that like like people who are like, ah, oh, I'm gonna write my Lord of the Rings uh, origin story, like because it fills the in the blanks. Well, I love the Silmarillion, <laughs> but I'm saying, like, for people who write fan fiction, yeah. you come in, like, and that's the Gnostics, which is, like, later, second, third century. Yeah. They come in, they're like, oh, we don't want to explain more of this stuff. But, but don't let your imagination get in the way. Right. And there's a similar temptation, even in the first century, where it's like, maybe Peter's trying to, like, prove a point here 
by saying, okay, yeah, like Christ killed this kid, but then raised him for the dead. And but then, like every reason, they're like, oh, that's a terrible point to make. Like we don't, yeah, we don't, we don't believe that. I mean, mm. we don't. I mean, in contemporaneously, I'm just thinking because I said Gough Whitlam before, mm. and I got really stuck into the Gough Whitlam dismissal story. Sure. So there's like the Gough Whitlam many many long accounts. So this is happened. a prime minister of Australia. Prime minister of Australia. Yeah, yeah. Um, I assume that everyone watching it has an intimate knowledge of Gough Whitlam and the dismissal of 1973. But you've got Whitlam's account. Mm. You've got the guy who dismissed him, John right. Kerr. Yeah. You've got Malcolm Fraser's account. Yeah. That. And and they contradict each other yeah. in like key factual right. areas. Yeah. While all three members are still alive. Yeah. And there are parts of that that people just dismiss. And it's well documented. Yeah, and as they well. go, he yeah. was drinking at the time, yeah. that seems forged. Yeah. He had an interest. Yeah. So it's not I mean, if that's like one event on one day mm-hmm. of the dismissal, um, it seems like mm. things like hearsay could creep in. Now we but we don't think that they creep into other parts of the gospel. I mean they why do we think that if Peter could get it wrong that the others couldn't have gotten it? Something wrong. Something right. in there. So, I mean, I didn't really want to get into, like, biblical criticism, but, yeah, like, sorry. let's do it. Let's All do right. it. So, there are, f- there are a few things I want to say. So, the first one is, like, the, the main, like, controversial text that didn't make into the Bible, mm. um, or that the, the is, like, was close, but didn't make it, are the letters of St. Irenaeus. No. St. Ignatius of Antioch, sorry. Um, it's the eye. always trips me up. Um, St. Ignatius of Antioch. So he was a first century Christian and martyr. He was a bishop in Antioch and he was captured by the Romans and he was taken to Rome and killed in the Colosseum by like lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. Uh, and Did on, you say oh my? Yeah. <laughs> on his way to Rome to yeah. be martyred, he's writing letters to the local Christian communities and he's like encouraging them. He's going, I'm going to my death. Yeah. Right. I know what I'm doing and you should, you should like be inspired by my example, all this sort of stuff. The letters are beautiful. We've got them all. There's about six to eight of them, I can't remember. They're, they're written probably like 90 to 100. So they're, they're basically in the apostolic period, right? It's sort of like, is John still alive? Probably. Probably. If not, it's so close to after that. There's nothing in it that's unorthodox. In fact, they're incredibly orthodox. And you mm. think if we put them in the Bible, we wouldn't have the problems we've got now with the Protestants. Because there's parts where he's going... The bishop's job is this. The priest's job is this. The deacon's job is this. He talks about the real presence in the Eucharist, right? He's like, it's so clear when you read this guy from the 90s that he believes the same things that we believe as Catholics. And if you doubt me, look up these these letters. They're incredible. And we've got them. And there's no dispute about their... Why don't we put them in? Because they weren't read. Because why, why were things put into the Bible? Why do we say these are things? Because we said this is the apostolic period, this is what was used by people in the apostolic period in their liturgy, this is what was considered normative for the faith at this time in this particular place. And so that's why we preserve those texts. It's not because we think the Bible is like the document that if you like memorize every word of it will get you to heaven. Right. No, like... These are the useful, most useful ones. These are the ones that people are like literally are using. Yes, exactly. And it's like everything... Contained in it is necessary yeah. for salvation, right? We don't need anything else. Well, this is how everything is passed down in that. Like, why is the Iliad passed down? Exactly. It's because people yeah. want to copy it out. You yeah. don't have a printing press. You don't have a, yeah. another way of doing it. Yeah. It's, this you only preserve shit. things that you use. Yeah. All right. Interesting. We're going to give you the important shit. So, yeah, Peter's gospel has been retained. But, like, there are these apocryphal texts that are, like, yeah, I mean, they can be instructive if you're, I think, educated and strong enough in your faith that you could read them with some 
prudence and some criticism and be like, maybe I can learn more here, but that's not the important stuff, right? Like you shouldn't be, the, and people can get, can make a fetish out of like reading the naughty stuff. And then just read the Bible. What's, what's, what's wrong with you? Like what you think, like <laughs> Jack there becoming Archie Bunker. <laughs> just read the Bible. Just read the Bible. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with the Bible? There's nothing wrong with the Bible. You got a problem with the Bible? No problem with the Bible, Sam? Not now. Exactly. Not now. Damn straight. Well, like, what is... I mean, there's an... Imp, what, where does the impulse come from? And part of it is to go, look at me, I'm very smart. And I have the hidden knowledge. It's like, it is yeah, Gnostic, exactly. It's Gnostic, Gnostic yeah, impulse. Yeah. yeah, it's the same people who are like, oh, I'm into... Like, like when people get into, like, demonology and stuff, and you're like, ugh, like, oh, man, stop reading that shit. Like, oh, I've read all these, all these exorcisms. Oh, it's so cool. And you're like, are you for real, dude? Like... Stay the hell away from it. Man's so afraid of demons. So afraid of demons, and you should be too. Be afraid of demons. They're scary. Do you want to do a fun pointing to all the cameras one by one? Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's continue on. Yeah, sometimes I'm glad that I'm so easy to tempt. So that, you know, like, because I'm told that once you get better at dealing with your... Um, That's when the demons come for you. Well, like, you, you start getting physically attacked, and Padre Pio is like brawling physically with the demons and then yeah. chucking them into walls and stuff yeah and it's like if they can just keep making me horny <laughs> yeah you're not gonna have that problem james <laughs> you have a lot of other problems now to continue on what are we up to uh hidden life. what does the hidden life of jesus is nether of jesus in you see i was thrown there because it wasn't of what does the hidden life of Jesus in Nazareth teach us? In the course of his hidden life in Nazareth, Jesus stayed in the silence of an ordinary existence. This allows us to enter into fellowship with him in the holiness to be found in a daily life marked by prayer, simplicity, work, and family love. His obedience to Mary and to Joseph, his foster father, is an image of his filial obedience to the Father. Mary and Joseph accepted with faith the mystery of Jesus, even though they did not always understand it. Obedience to Mary and Joseph, the one account we have is of him hanging out and then saying something that sounds a little sassy to yeah. him. Yeah. And then he goes back with him. And he does go back with him. Yeah. He does go back with them. Yeah. And again, it's like, what are we getting? We're getting the important stuff, right? Yeah. Like, are we going to get every, like, instance where Jesus went to school and didn't want to wear his backpack and all sort of stuff? Like, no. Like, we're going to get, like, the through line, which is he was obedient. He was an obedient son. He was obedient in general. So I had a. We have been recording this for several hours. I had a little yawn. But like, yeah, so the, the, the thing that I really love about this is like, you have a simple life, probably, if you're listening to this, because we all do, right? You've got to go to work. You've got to have your obligations, yeah. all that sort of stuff. And then he had that also. He had that also. Until he was 30. And Well, yeah, sure. And then he goes and has a really exciting life by getting bloodily killed, you know? Uh, but like, there's nothing wrong with that. Right? The, the it God, feels like there's nothing wrong with that. The God has deigned to make yeah. that holy. This navigating the peaks and troughs of, you know, like there's turbulent times and there's times where you go like, I have to be ready. I have to be on now. Just, you know, just professionally. Mm. Most of your nine to five job is you showing up and not really having to do anything. You have to cover your bases and you have to have a decent existence. But like there are weeks at a time where you don't have to do anything at a nine to five job, mm. any serious work. And then there are times in your life where if you don't, hustle and really do things under yeah. spotlight it all falls apart real yeah. fast yeah but you're not constantly under that pressure that anxiety that need to do and that yeah we should just be 
more at peace with that, presumably. Christ didn't want his hour to come. You know, when his ministry begins, when Mary asks him to do something miraculous. You should have a life marked by prayer, simplicity, work, and family love, right? Because that should be enough. And that is enough. It's enough for our Lord. Um, It's a good thing. This is not like... Well, I think if I knew what was coming, it would be slave easier. morality. Or but no, but how much more? How much easier would it be to enjoy your quiet family life if people were like you got this for a couple more years? Don't worry, it's then you're going up on that tree. Yeah, well, it's you're, you. You were going to die, right? Yeah. Like, and it's going to be probably pretty shit. Like, and also there are going to be things in your life that are going to come acro- that you're going to enter into that are going to be really hard. So, like, if you've got like a simple yeah, life, enjoy and you're the like, quiet oh, stuff. Boring. Yeah, man. Yeah. Like, just roll with it. I'd like to say I was getting better at it, but I don't think I am. You something, in particular would yeah, struggle with that. It's something for me to work on. Yeah. Anyway, let's keep on. Why did Jesus receive from John the baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins? To inaugurate his public life and to anticipate the baptism of his death, he who was without sin accepted to be numbered among sinners. He was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Father proclaimed to him to be his beloved Son, and the Spirit descended upon him. The baptism of Jesus is a prefiguring of our baptism. There's a few things there. Yeah. His death is a baptism that we enter into in our baptism. His death is a baptism? Yeah. So he was baptized twice there? We were having a conversation about Anabaptists earlier in the... So the, the baptism that John gives is not a baptism for the forgiveness of sins, right? Like it's a baptism of repentance, so it's, it's a preparatory thing. So St. John is the last of the prophets. He's like, I am the one that's to make straight the ways of the Lord, all this sort of stuff. So he's calling out all, all of Judea comes out to be baptized by John. He's there as the, like calling people to repentance because someone is coming greater than him. How, how big is this John cult? It's obviously downplayed big, a bit. We're dude. saying big. It's big. a big thing happening. Yeah, it's a big thing happening. And we have other sources for this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm pretty sure, I think Josephus talks about John as well, as well as Christ. Well, there's a big thing, like a particularly big thing is going well, on Well, it's also a common thing, right? Like you've got like, you, you have these apocalyptic figures yeah. come, coming across. And, and it's, it's, a, like, it's a familiar thing in, in the milieu, you know? Yeah. He's doing it in a particular way and he's saying some particular things. And Christ comes and John's like, that's the guy. Like he's, I've seen him. Like I know him. He's right there. I left in the womb when I was a baby. I, I know who he is. It's my cuz. He's my cuz, bro. Um, so Christ, when he's getting baptized by John, is not getting baptized like we are getting baptized. He's doing it as like a sign of repentance. Why does Christ need to repent? Mm. He doesn't, right? Because he's God. So what's he doing? He's prefiguring his death on the cross, which is that like, so in, in Israel... The idea of water is generally a sign of chaos and destruction. So his face was on the waters, right? So and then the you deep. get land getting parted, and that's order, right? Yeah. Also, when you've got Noah, it's like the waters come in and they destroy yeah. everything. You got to flee through the waters. Got to flee through the waters. The waters part. Get to the promised land. All that sort of stuff. Yeah. Right. So water is like this big symbol for the for the for the Jewish mind. Spooky. Spooky. It's chaos. It's destruction. All this sort of stuff. Christ goes into the Jordan. John plunges him into the water. Mm. So he's immersed, fully immersed. What's he doing? He's going into Hades. He's going into death itself. And then he's reborn. So he's not doing that because he needs it. He's doing that as a sign of what he's about to do on the cross. He's pointing to the crucifix and going, 
I'm taking the place of the sinner. Yes. I'm taking the place of the repenter. I don't need it. I'm perfect. I'm going to do this for you. But I'm doing this for you. And this is something that John is weirded out by. No, John knows what's happening. John, John is, says, yeah. Ah. You should baptize me. I should yeah. baptize you. And Christ says, this is, this is fitting, right? Like, you hate that. But he's like, it's fitting that I do this because I'm going to be, I'm going to be crucified by sinners. Mm. Yeah. So I'm, it's, a sinner has to do this to me. And you again, my he's plunged. What happens? The voice of the Father, the Holy Spirit descends, the theophany, this is God revealing himself in, in his innermost life. Yeah. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And this is the start of what he's doing, right? At the very start of his, in the synoptics, the very start of his ministry is the baptism. And then into the desert. Is it not in John? No, in John, the start of his thing is the wedding at Cana. But there was a man who was John. John gets a yeah, yeah. John gets a, no, John. John gets a Guernsey in in Gospel of John. I'm yeah. just saying, like, but in the synoptics, the start of his different John public life. Always important to point out different yeah, John. Yeah, yeah, I did have a friend who was once reading the Gospel of John and was like, "This guy, this guy writing this very early in the Gospel of John, does he go? Yeah, I'm a great man." And I was like, "I." Oh, yeah. Well, then he gets decapitated. So that's a bit John. harder. Yeah. Well, I mean, also, I don't want to say, like, why is he decapitated? But what we were saying before about Christ's family and no one to pick it up yeah. afterwards. Like, the, the church is the one that he sets up. Yeah. Um, if John... John has this big... There's a cult of John. I think it would be easy for people to get that twisted if John was around post... Um, right, but also you get that in the Gospels, right? John's, like, telling his disciples, you've got to yeah. go check out this go Jesus dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go see what he says. He's trying to. Deflect. I've made the way straight. Yeah, that's done now. Yeah, yeah. Should, could ideally would get to rest easy at that point if mm-hmm. there wasn't a sensual dance of seven veils. <laughs> Best name for a strip club I ever heard: the Seventh Veil. <laughs> Did you seriously see a strip club called the Seventh Veil? I think I've seen it, but I've heard someone talking about it. in some movie. There's some, there's some reference to the Seventh. That's veil. the most like and cultured. With me, I know. That's so funny. It's Man. funny on the outside. Then you get in there, and I don't think it's as cultural. No, yeah. but if you're going to be, if you're going to be that degenerate, you might as well be funny about Seventh it. Seventh yeah. Now, what do we learn from the temptations of Jesus in the <sighs> desert? So Christ f- immediately flees after the baptism. He goes to the desert forty days and forty nights. The temptations of Jesus in the desert re- recapitulate, recapitulate, recapitulate the temptation of Adam in paradise and the temptations of Israel in the desert. Satan tempts Jesus in regard to his obedience to the mission given to him by the Father. Christ, the new Adam, resists and his victory proclaims that, his, proclaims that of his passion, which is the supreme obedience of his filial love. Mm. The church unites herself to this mystery in a special way in the liturgical season of Lent. Love it. So there's a few things I want to say that, oh, do about temptations. Right. Yeah, 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 I just love it. Mm. Yeah, I love Lent. But for the temptations, yep. so this is, all from, this is all from Pope Benedict. Okay. Great man. Um, so he's got a book. He wrote a book when he became the Pope called Jesus of Nazareth. He wrote three books mm-hmm. about the life, the death, and the birth of I Jesus. I own a copy that you gave me, but I don't know where it is. No, I own a copy that I lent you, and you don't know where it is. Oh, no, you've... Yeah, you're yeah. making a good point. Mm. Mm. Not untrue. <sighs> that was important. I'd feel like to get out there. <laughs> I will buy you another copy, or when I move but house, I, want I will that find it. Co- Anyways... Because I'd written notes in it and it was underlined. It was great stuff. Uh, but anyways, in the, in the chapter sorry. on... sorry. <laughs> in the chapter on the temptations of the je- desert, yeah. Benedict goes through the temptations and, he's, and he articulates them in a very beautiful way, I think. So, that, like, 
one of the temptations is um, turn this bread, turn this rock into bread. Yep. Because you're hungry, right? You've been fasting 40 days and 40 nights. You just have to eat the bread. And Benedict says, this is the temptation of the church at every stage in history, right? Like, why do you have such riches? Why don't you give your riches to the poor? Yeah. What does Christ say? Sell the Sistine Chapel off to Elon Musk. Hashtag sell the Vatican, all that sort of stuff, right? And then you can give it all to the poor. And Christ says, man cannot live on bread alone, but from every word that falls to the mouth of God, right? So it's like, oh, okay, now they're entering into this, like, jewel here, right? Satan, the, the enemy is there, the adversary is there. And he's like eat it and he's like no because I'm and he quotes scripture so then Satan takes him to the top of the temple yes and says throw yourself off the top of the temple and the angels will come and rescue you because because it Which says I in the scriptures read as being like you should kill yourself because it's I realized that was a false reading but I always read that as hey kill yourself because uh, living is hard but instead he's saying if you jump from the top of the temple the angels will carry rescue. you yeah. everyone will see the angels yes. doing this yep. and they will know your splendor but You'll also be- he quotes scripture when he says it yeah. And he says, because in the, psalm. in the psalm it says this thing. So he's like tempting Jesus with, so, and so Benedict says, like, this is like, again, this is the church in the modern world, right? Like, what's the, what's the first thing? People start quoting scripture against you, and it's so hard. And you're like, oh, man, they're using this against me because Satan is an expert in scripture. Of course he is. So then Christ rebuts him, and I can't remember what he says. He says, oh, I, you can't tempt the Lord God your Father or something like that, right? So, like, Christ is showing himself as the author of Scripture. Yeah. So then he shows him all the kingdoms of the world, and he says, you can have them all. You just have to kneel to me. And again, this is the temptation of man in the modern world. It's like, own the world, technology, instruments, right? Like, have a domination. And all you have to do is, like, this one little thing, which is, like, admit that Christ know. is not the king of the universe. Nah, man, like that's not going to fly. Right? So Christ goes through not only the temptations that Israel faced, not only the temptations that Adam faced, but we're still going through those and same the temptations. the third one is the top of the world to rule the whole world? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shows them all the kingdoms of the world. Yeah. And says you just have to kneel and you'll do it. Please, when we're doing the phone call with the Anabaptist, don't say Satan is an expert in Scripture. Because I feel like that's something that you might say to Protestants who quotes scripture at you. You said it with a certain venom. I don't know why I would say something like that. <laughs> yeah, no, Johnny seems great, but also uh, Protestantism is... Some of this will be cut. Not Some of, this of God. Cut. Sorry, Protestants. Well, it's of God. Well, of, you know, from. Well, yeah. Is it though? You think it's you think Martin Luther was uh, an agent of Satan? I absolutely think Martin Luther was an agent of Satan. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, he was definitely an agent of Satan. Hey, who is invited to come into the kingdom of God proclaimed and brought about by Jesus? All are invited by Jesus to enter the kingdom of God. Even the worst of sinners is called to convert and to accept the boundless mercy of the Father. Already here on earth, the kingdom belongs to those who accept it with a humble heart. To them, the mysteries of the kingdom are revealed. Everybody. Everybody. Oh, no, wait. Why did Jesus manifest the kingdom by means of signs and miracles? Jesus accompanied his words with signs and miracles to bear witness to the fact that the kingdom is present in him, the Messiah. Although he healed some people, he did not come to abolish all evils here below, but rather to free us especially from the slavery of sin. The driving out of the demons proclaimed that his cross would be victorious over the ruler of this world. Yeah, it does seem like that is notable, that for a man who... Was that he, he mainly healed people that he met. Yep. 
Whereas Mainly. if he had used his powers in some sort of, I don't know, NHS system that he had established. Yeah, again, and he's not doing it to heal people necessarily, yeah. right? He's always doing it as a sign of something. He's pointing he's to... He's trying to heal the soul. Yeah, he's, and he's... When it, like, for example, there's the paralytic that gets, like, shown to him and he says, well, this, yeah. man's, this man's sins forgiven and the Pharisees go, like, how who can you say that? Hmm. Like, who are you to say that? Who are you to forgive his sins? And he's like, well, it'd be easy for me to get him to say, get up and walk. So get up and walk. And the paralytic gets up, picks up his thing and walks off. So he doesn't do it. He doesn't heal the paralytic because there's something wrong with the paralytic. He does it to show. He, says some, he heals the paralytic because there's something wrong with the Pharisees. Yeah. And he yeah. heals the paralytic because it's a sign of his internal state being reordered towards God. And how much more important the spiritual yeah. is than the physical. Yeah. Mm. I mean, paralysis is pretty grim, though, isn't it? I mean, I wouldn't want it, but like, <laughs> I would rather have my sins forgiven. Better to have, uh, yeah, better to have your soul than yeah. legs. In the kingdom, what authority did Jesus bestow upon his apostles? Jesus chose the twelve, the future witnesses, witnesses of his resurrection, and made them sharers of his mission and of his authority to teach, to absolve from sins, to build up and govern the church. In this college, Peter received the keys of the kingdom and assumed the first place for the mission to keep the faith in its integrity and to strengthen his brothers. We're going to get to Peter more fully later when we do the church, but, I mean, that's an important point. Do you think they're real keys? Absolutely, they're real keys. Do you think he actually handed him keys? No. I really? Don't. We don't have the keys? No, we don't have the keys. No. There's not some room in the Vatican where they go, it's the key, man. No, I'm thinking of a really bad joke that I'm not going to say. We can edit it out. How do you know that Jesus had a Honda? He gave Peter the keys? No, because he said, I did not come with my own accord. No, it's great. Yeah. Uh, what is... <laughs> now, where did you want to stop for this episode? I think uh, we'll do these next two questions and we'll right, stop. Right, good. Yeah. I just wanted to... Get yeah, 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 yeah. <coughs> I wanted to power on until we got um, to the end of this one. What is the meaning of the transfiguration? So, great mystery, good one. Above all, the transfiguration shows forth the Trinity, the Father and the Voice, the Son and the Man, Jesus, the Spirit and the Shining Clouds, as Thomas Aquinas. Speaking with Moses and Elijah about his departure, Jesus reveals that his glory comes by way of the cross. So, he, sorry, just the, the transfiguration is when he's on the mountain. I, I'm going to get to that when oh, I'm okay. finished yet. And he anticipates his resurrection and his glorious coming, which will change our lowly body to be like his glorious body. So the transfiguration is before he goes to Jerusalem to be crucified, he says to Peter, James and John, let's go up this mountain. I can't remember which mountain it is. It's like... One of the big ones. One of the, one of the important mountains in the Bible. And that mountain's still there? Yeah. You can go up that mountain. But it's like, it's got something to do with the Old Testament. I can't remember, man. It's a mountain? It's a mountain. It's an okay. important mountain. They climb the mountain. They climb up the mountain and they get to the top or they get to a landing or whatever and Peter... James and John see Christ transfigured so that it's like light shining through him. Yes. So it's... He's emitting light. His divinity, like normally you see his humanity and his mm. divinity is hidden. And in this instance, his divinity is fully revealed. There's the Shekinah, the cloud of the Holy Spirit. There's the voice of the Father. It's the second time you've used Shekinah. Shekinah, I love it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then they see Moses and Elijah speaking to Christ. Yeah. And, and they're like them. deferring to him. Peter asks to make them a tent. Peter says, this is great. It's good for us to be here. I'll build a couple of tents. We'll hang out. It'll be great. So, but what's the importance of them seeing Moses and Elijah, right? Like Moses is the lawgiver. Yeah. And Elijah is the greatest of the prophets. And they're both speaking to Christ. So Christ 
Oh, apologize. Is like the person they're talking to. So like that's significant, right? Like they're deferring to him. They don't go, now that you're all here, let's have a chat with John. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and Christ says, no, like this isn't the point, right? You're missing the point. I'm showing you this to strengthen you, right? Like so that when... But those three specifically. Yeah. He could get everybody up. Could get everyone. Again, why is it those three? Yeah. Because this is this is in a crew. In the Twelve Apostles, he's got his close friends. Yep. And he's got Peter, James, and John. Peter, who's the rock? Yep. John, who he loves. Yep. And James, who is his blood relative? Question brother. mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But his, so, we, his so he's brother. got his friends, right? He's got his he's got his boys. Jesus has his boys, of course. Mm. And when he's doing like, especially personal things, he's normally doing it with his boys. So those are the close boys. Yeah. And they're like they have like big roles to play in, in the coming of the the future church. Yeah. yeah, not to say that the others don't. No, but they have particular missions. Mm. Why? I mean, James doesn't have James features less other than being sleepy. Who falls asleep? James and no, they all fall asleep at the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm. Are they all there? Mm. Why do I think that James gets a particular role in that? Maybe his mention is being. I think sleepy? he gets a line. Sleepy James. Downing Thomas, Sleepy James. I'm sorry, I'm sleepy at the moment. All right. <laughs> Let's power on. You were transfigured on the mountain and your disciples, as much as they were capable of it, beheld your glory, O Christ our God, so that when they should see you crucified, they would understand that your passion was voluntary and proclaim to the world that you truly are the splendor of the Father. It's great liturgy. One, one, one. How did the Messianic entrance into Jerusalem come about? So this is his entry into Jerusalem. It's Palm Sunday. He's on the donkey. The palms being thrown over his feet, all that sort of stuff. Hey, Zana ho, Zana, Zana, Zana ho. Exactly. Zana, hey, Zana ho, Zana. Can't you see JC was a malami? That bit. So at the established time, Jesus chose to go up to Jerusalem to suffer his passion and death and to rise from the dead. As the Messiah King who shows forth the coming of the kingdom, he entered into a city mounted on a donkey. He was acclaimed by the little children whose shout of joyful praise is taken up in the sanctus of the Eucharistic liturgy. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, save us, is what that means. Yep. The liturgy of the church opens Holy Week by celebrating his entry into Jerusalem. So when in Mass, when the bo- uh, altar boys come in with the candles, mm-hmm. sanctus, 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 mm-hmm. it's a... Uh, we're quoting. We're always quoting from the Bible every time. But that is where, that is one yeah. of the areas where that yeah. come from. Yeah, are they yeah. saying Sanctus, Holy, Holy, Holy? Are they saying no, no, that's Hosanna? that's the angels, and that yes. comes from the Old Testament. But the yeah. Hosanna and the highest thing comes from. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Nice. So that's it. Um, that's Jesus. We finish Jesus now. So next time we're going to do the Holy Spirit, and then after that we're going to do the Church. Um, so we've. Oh, there's so much more Jesus. No, there's not. What is the importance of the Paschal Mystery of Jesus? Oh, sorry. No, sorry. You're right. We were supposed to finish that today, but we didn't. Um, Yeah, there's Jesus dying and there's the crucifixion and death and resurrection. You're right. That's a big... That's a lot. That's a lot, man. It's a lot. How how long was that one? That was 42. Oh, that's all right. It felt longer. Well, we did a lot beforehand. It felt like it was a boring one. But you know what? This episode also has to have. Yeah. Special rendition of... Us singing Jesus was a crossmaker at the end. Maybe we could film that at a different time and edit that in. Do you want to sing it? I'll no. Sing it. Sweet silver angel over the sea. Come down flying low 
time I trusted a stranger Cause I heard his sweet song Though it was gently enticing me There was something wrong And when I turned He was gone Blinding me His song remains reminding me He's a bandit was a cross maker Sweet silver angels over the sea Please come down flying low For me Out windows won't give him a place to hide. He keeps his door open wide. Fighting him, he lights a lamp, inviting me. He's a bandit and a heartbreaker. Oh, but Jesus was a cross. Flying low for 